been talking about prayer during the season of Lent, and let's be honest, prayer is difficult. Sometimes there are so many things that I would rather do than pray, because prayer seems inefficient at times. Feels like a hoop to jump through, uh, something that slows down a process, or something that can um, uh, that I can use only when I'm very desperate for God. Why is it that humans uh, would much rather make decisions on their own, on our own, uh, without ever having to involve others, let alone God? What is it about the sense or the reality of power in these situations where we sometimes pray? Why would I so much rather worry or fester, answer the large problems of the world by reading up on the situation or uh, getting to know the politics of the situation or the science behind the situation before I ever even commune or communicate with God about the situation? Why is it that I would rather do everything I can do before I ever pursue prayer? Prayer is difficult. We play a game at our, at our dinner table called the Would You Rather. Have you heard of this game? Would you rather? No. Three people. Four people know about Would You Rather. Well, let me tell you about this game. Uh, the premise of the game, Would You Rather, uh, is to decide between one of two options that are given to you. They could be fun options, they could be gross options, uh, they could be generally unwanted options, or they could be um, very enticing options. Uh, and with two young kids at our table in the evenings, we experience quite the variety, all right? So we are going to play Would You Rather, all right, using some examples that sometimes come across our dinner plates. Uh, uh, would you rather have the ability to make fire or the ability to make flowers. If you are a fire person, hand up like this. If you're a flower person, hand up like this. Fire or flower? I'm always flower. I'm always flower. Okay. Okay, good. Next one. Uh, would you rather eat breakfast for every meal or eat dinner for every meal? Yell it out. <laughs> Most of you said breakfast or just the loud ones said breakfast. I think that's true. Okay. Not, not everyone's a fan of dinner. All right, all right. Okay, last one. Would you rather hold snakes for a day or be in a tub of spiders for a day? Snakes? Oh, spiders. Oh, are we split down the middle? Have I, have I caused a division within the church? Okay, so there's no sort of agreement. You would just rather not. That's one of those you just rather not. Um, sometimes at our home, I, we, we try and strategize. So Paul will pick one and I'll pick the other just so we're like even because these situations would never happen. But you can see that we can cover a lot of ground in this game. You get to know some things about people in this game. I joined the, the Jesus Calling group uh, it's a group of women that meet on Wednesday nights, and, and they had this would you rather question last week. Uh, and the question was this, would you rather never be able to talk or have your thoughts known to everyone? Right? An impossible choice. What would you do? Talk or have your thoughts? Yell them out. <laughs> of course, the people who would talk 
hear the ones that are loud. Okay. You would prefer those thoughts stayed to yourself, I can imagine. Today we come to a prayer that, that Jesus prayed. It's the longest prayer that we have recorded in Scripture. And we are being let in on Jesus' uh, most honest and intimate thoughts with the Father. He would rather his thoughts be known. And so we get to see how the, the divine communicates with the divine. Jesus chose to have these thoughts, these, this communication, this communion available for everyone. And so let's dive into it. We are in uh, the book of John, which is the fourth gospel um, of four gospels. It's in the New Testament, the fourth book in the New Testament. We are in John chapter 17, and we will read verses 1 through 8 today. I invite you to take your Bibles out. I can hear them already. Um, If you can, if you don't have one, we offer the words on the screen. So would you read with me and consider with me John 17, 1 through 8. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. This prayer is part of Jesus' final discourse in the Gospel of John. You see, throughout the whole book of John, uh, John, who is the writer, which is why it's named John, uh, John has has sought to convince his readers that, that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is God. And so John has a, a list of all of these things, miracles and, and identity declarations, these I am statements. Uh, John includes the ways that Jesus was with people and for people. These are all revealing that that Jesus is divine. And here we get a glimpse into the ways that the divine communicates with the divine. You see, Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry. The incarnation and its implications are coming to a close, meaning that, that Jesus knows what he was sent to do, and he knows what is left to do. He prays this prayer uh, during what we call Holy Week. We're coming up to that. Uh, But here in this season of Lent, we wanted to pay attention to those kind of set-aside, left-alone things in Holy Week often. And so this, there's, Holy Week is that period between Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday, uh, and his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, which, which we celebrate on Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. And so some suggested this, this prayer 
uh, came during the Last Supper in the upper room, that Jesus was gathered with his disciples and then he offered this prayer. Uh, others think that this was an in-transit prayer. Jesus was kind of moving and mulling around Jerusalem in that time, and so he was saying this prayer as he was kind of walking along. Either way, it is true when we see this that Jesus had something to say in his, uh, to his disciples before this prayer. Maybe you can in your Bible look um, at John uh, 14 through 17. It's just all bright red. If you have the red, uh, red letter Bible, you'll just see that, that Jesus is just, he's just going. He's talking and he's talking and he's talking. He is uh, discoursing, filling in his disciples on the things that he wants them to know before he is gone. He wants to be sure uh, to comfort them, to give them instruction for how to follow Jesus when he, when he is gone. He wants to promise the spirit of God that will come. And then he invites these disciples who abide in him. He's the vine and, and they are the branches. He wants to help them anticipate persecution. He then helps them anticipate the work that the Holy Spirit will have them do and that they will endure much sorrow, but they will also experience the fullness of joy. Jesus just goes on and on and on. All of these things to say to these beloved disciples who've been with him for three years. It's like he's getting them ready, preparing them the best way he can for what's to come. It feels to me like, like the work of a parent on school mornings when you're trying to get your little or big ones off to school, right? Do they have what they need, all right? Um, uh, have I said enough to prepare them for the day? Will they know what to expect when they get to school? Where is their lunchbox? Why is their lunchbox always gross and dirty? <laughs> uh, do they finish their homework? Is the permission slip still in their folder? Do they know how much they are loved? Are they equipped with words of, of kindness and generosity? But, uh, and then lastly, but, but do they really know that they are loved? These are the things that go through the mind of this parent when I get ready to send my kids to school. And then as these children uh, head off into school, leave me, this grown-up is left to wonder, how can it be that I just released this child into the world like that? Will whatever I do ever be enough for them? Why, God, is this part so, so hard? This is perhaps the mix of emotions, of situations, and communication that's occurring between Jesus and the Father from divine to divine. Jesus has some things to say to his disciples. And then Jesus has some things to say to God before the next part of the story continues. It's as though Jesus is saying, let what has done and been done be enough. It's as though Jesus is saying, glorify it. Glorify me with you. Glorify yourself, just as we were glorified from the beginning. These things aren't new for Jesus, by the way. This, this conversation has occurred even before the dawn of time. We read in verse 5, uh, it says, And now, uh, Father, glorify me. This is Jesus talking. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This really harkens back to the very beginning of John's gospel. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
What we affirm in John 1, 1 is that Jesus was not just something that was created by God and then planted on the earth for just a short amount of time. No, what we affirm because of John 1 is that Jesus has always been. Christ has always been with the Father. You see, before the formation of the created world, God was in a relationship with God's self. And this is what we call the Trinity. And in this relationship, each member, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are adored. Adored. You might want to write that down. To adore something is to esteem it, to respect it, to reveal it, or revere it, and to glorify it. With the Trinity, before the dawn of time, before creation, before anything, there is glory. This thing that has always been and always will be glory. So, so what Jesus asks for in this prayer is not something new. This is not a new request that Jesus is making of God. Oh, by the way, could we have a little glory now? No, this, has been, and this is something that Jesus has participated in with the Trinity since before we could even fathom. The context for this prayer is this. Jesus has always been glorified. And... Jesus adores and is adored. Jesus adores the Father. The Father adores Jesus. Jesus adores his disciples. Uh, and Jesus adores those who will come to faith because of his disciples. That's us. By the way, we've come to faith because of the disciples of, of Jesus and those disciples of Jesus. You know how it goes. It feels like an eternity. And at the end of his ministry, in preparation for the most adoring acts that Jesus would ever offer, Jesus prays a prayer for glory, for adoration, for adoring. I've always understood prayers of, of adoration, this theme we're carrying this Sunday morning. Uh, prayers of adoration are the things we say to God about how great God is. All right, uh, And there's necessary beauty in this work of, of adoration as we've understood it. But, but I'd like to add that, that adoration doesn't come from us first. When we come to God with prayers of adoration, it's not like, hmm, I have some great ideas. I'm going to pray these. What actually happens in prayer and in our life of faith is that we are first adored. I heard it. From the prayers of the people this morning. We are first adored and then we adore. We are most dearly loved and then we love in return. And this is the miracle of God's work among us. Because if prayer is communicating and communing with God, part of the work of prayer is, is to settle in, I'd say. Settle into being adored. This isn't self-centering prayer. It's not prioritizing the warm and fuzzy parts of being in a relationship with God. It is a God-centering prayer. It's acknowledging in our, <clears throat> in our souls and in our bones who God is and what God does. We get a sense of this language in Jesus' prayer because he, he wants God to be glorified through his actions. This is not new. His ministry was that of, of adoration, of glorification, of bringing others into adoring God by, by letting them know that they are adored. 
Because adoration, first believing that we are loved and then loving back, this is what brings full life. Full life. In, uh, in verse 3, uh, chapter 17, verse 3, uh, G- we see that Jesus prays, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life that they would know you. A few things on this. In Jesus' day, the idea of eternal life wasn't just a concern about what would happen after humans died. That was like not even on their radar. Uh, you see, when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's talking about this mysterious thing that originated with God, which is life itself. The word eternal speaks more to something that has always been and always will be, something that is perpetual, something that doesn't have a beginning. It sounds a lot like the Trinity, doesn't it? It speaks to the nature of God's self, which is eternal. Eternal. So to know eternity isn't just to know heaven or to believe that you're going to go to heaven after you die. No, eternity, to know eternal life is to know God. Hmm. God isn't merely interested in getting you into heaven. God is certainly very interested in getting to know you. And also then, as Jesus prays, to be known in return. This was the work of Jesus, to make God known and to also prove that God knows the ones he loves. And it's not new news. It's old news. Because this knowingness, this is adoration. This has always been. This is, this is eternal. Have you ever considered this as the foundation to prayer? Perhaps the things that, that surround our life of prayer is the work of of knowing and being known, of loving and being loved. Generally, conversations exist so that two people can, or a group of people, can have information exchanged for something unknown to become known, right? At least good conversations happen that way. We've all had our fair share of bad conversations, right? Where you either leave feeling unknown or unheard, or you have no idea what the other person's talking about. You know, you can imagine these conversations. You see, the work of Jesus wasn't to just engage in bad, unprofitable conversations. The work of Jesus was to make God known and then to prove that God knows the ones he loves. We see it in Jesus' prayer here. It's presence throughout scripture. It's the essence of the gospel. It's what we offer children when they are newly, freshly forming in the faith. We even sing it to them. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Perhaps you know that song. The late uh, Richard Carlson was a professor of mine in seminary. And he was well known for his deep love for Jesus and his deep love for people. Those were the two priorities of his academic life. 
And the door to his office in the seminary building was covered of clippings with things. You, you literally could not see the wood on the door. Uh, there were newspaper uh, uh, articles. There were comics. There were stories of his participation in the civil rights movement with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Photos of him with students throughout the years of his ministry as a professor. And then uh, right at the center of the door, at eye level was a yellowing piece of paper with his own handwriting written on it. And it said, Jesus knows me, this I love. Jesus knows me, this I love. It's a stunning switch of a Christian classic. Jesus knows me, this I love. Certainly Jesus loves me, this I know, but... To be known. To be known by Jesus is a remarkable thing. To love the truth of that is an invitation to faith. And the work of prayer, the work of adoration, is helping us live into being known and to love the fact that we are known. And then to love the one that knows us, and then to know the one that loves us. It's all wrapped up in there. Prayer isn't just doing something to receive an outcome. I'd so much rather it be sometimes. I put in my coin, I pull the thing, and I get what I want. (laughs) Prayer is communing with God long enough, often enough, truthfully enough, truthfully enough, to explore the adoration that has existed before the formation of the world. And you see, the implications of this approach to prayer feel quite as vast as the universe. Certainly, when we engage in prayer this way, the prayer, the person praying is going to change. But certainly, the way you view your neighbor, your enemy, your adversary, the challenges in your life, the unwanted things, the heart-wrenching things, the beautiful things, they're going to change when you have joined into prayer being adored. When you have discovered that Jesus knows me, this I love. When you believe Jesus loves me, this I know for sure. I've wondered then, as this idea has settled with me this week, what are the implications for this corporate body? I've been here a year now, gotten to see how we, how we work, how we function. This church certainly knows Jesus. And I would say this church certainly loves Jesus. And I would say this, this church has received the truth of being adored by God. But I wonder if we have really entered into adoration. Are we really coming to a place of being adored and then adoring? I wonder what it would look like for this to manifest itself uh, in, in the big things that we do and in the small things we do. Are our ministry teams seeking out the work of adoration 
of first being adored and then adoring, of, of knowing what God wants, of, of knowing God, period, and then knowing what God wants and then doing what God wants. Are those our first pursuits? Or have we been found wanting to kind of skirt around prayer? <laughs> Skirt around the idea that we're adored or that we are invited to adore God. And we're like, well, we have things to do. And there are people to love. And, there, and there's outreach to offer. And there, there are women's events to plan. And, and, and we have to take care of the children in the nursery. I mean, these are all good things, right? But have we approached them from a place of adoration? Because we are loved and because we want to love God? Are we listening for the ways that God is inviting us to participate with God? Or are we like, let's just go. Let's just do our own thing. I would beg for us. You'll remind me, I pray, to slow down enough to pursue adoration enough that the results of our prayer life aren't just doing things because it feels right, or doing things because we've decided we know what's best. But the results of our prayer life are that we know God, and we know God so intimately that when God invites us to move in a direction, we don't have to guess. Our adoration just brings us along. I wonder if our adoration could bring us along. This one that loves us wants to talk to us about being loved. And prayers of adoration aren't just saying things to God about God. It's actually taking the time to truly be loved, to truly be known, and then to, in response, love and to know. Because the truth is, you are adored. And God wants to be adored by you. God wants to be adored by you. And so in this time, I'm going to close this sermon time praying a prayer of adoration. And uh, it's a prayer that's adapted by Ted Lauder. And so I'm going to invite us to kind of settle into our seats. Shift, because I've been talking a long time and you might need to not let your leg fall asleep. We'll enter into this time of prayer <laughs> of adoration. And whatever you want to say to God, I have words here, but if your mind, your heart wants to go a different way, I invite you to follow it, because God might be there. Let us pray. My words can't carry all the praise. Glorious God, how curious. And what a confession that we would set, our, set aside ourselves in prayer and call it adoration. We smile at the presumption and hope that you smile too. But the truth is, holy friend, that our words can't carry all the praise. We want them to, or that they should, no matter how many trips they take. So this day, all is praise and adoration for all my days. 
I breathe and it is your breath that fills me. I look and it is your light by which I see. I move and it is your energy moving in me. I listen and even the stones speak of you. I touch and you are between finger and skin. I think and the thoughts are but sparks from the fire of your truth. I love and the throb is your presence. I laugh and it is the rustle of your passing. I weep and your spirit broods over me. I long and it is the tug of your kingdom. This I adore. We adore you, O Christ. Amen.